Thank you for listening to the Define Nobody's podcast with Eric Arjuna and special guests. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Define Nobody's podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your host, Eric Ajna. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Buy Nobody's podcast. You know, one thing I have always encountered as a challenge uh, when sitting down to talk about spiritual themes is about how to best begin a talk in such a way that it sort of cuts to the core of what the intrinsic heartbeat is of each teaching, no matter what it is, and to sort of reach a space where we could, you know, gracefully fall into a a type of flow where everything feels more organic and uh, less structured. You know, one thing that I've always had difficulty with is figuring out how to begin each episode, though, you know, not because I haven't developed a, a constructive way of accomplishing this, but because the nature of my spiritual practice and personal philosophy in the Vedantic realm teaches us how not to approach the conversation of spiritual truth in such a way that implies there being a sort of linear progression which sort of starts from the beginning and inevitably leads to a desirable conclusion which you know perhaps invokes feelings of completeness and wholeness and you know those seeking to understand spiritual truth and uh, as preferable as this may be to those on the, the path, you know, one thing my practice has taught me really time and time again is how these beliefs, although innocent, are largely governed by our mind's inability to assimilate truth unless it's formulated in such a way that it allows our egos to grasp it, right? Like to hold it and to keep it and uh, to remember it and uh, perhaps even attempt to possess it for ourselves. I mean, it's a worthy goal for sure. I mean, after all, who doesn't want to understand something to the extent that it lingers within your mind in the same way a a beautiful mantra does when we sit in meditation, just sort of gently reciting it hundreds, if not thousands of times, right? But perhaps that is exactly the problem. I mean, fundamentally, mantras are meaningless sounds. Of course, I don't don't say that with uh, any tinge of cynicism or judgment, you know. I, I say that with humility, because the truth is, you know, the, the very beauty of mantras rests in their ability to convey a vibration just so deep and so mysterious that your mind can never really truly understand nor comprehend it with any type of intellectual prowess. You know, mantras have a way of, of naturally disengaging the mind by subjecting it to a force that can only be defined by the ego as a mystery. Of course, you know, one can say that Mantras, even if they're, you know, largely Sanskrit words, have meaning. But to deeply understand the meaning of mantras is to really miss the point. Like, for example, you know, you can recite the Gobinde Mukande mantra, which is, you know, Gobinde Mukande Udare Apade Hadia Kadia Dername Akami, over and over again, which which means sustainer, liberator, uh, enlightener, infinite, destroyer, creator, nameless, desireless, all things that really can't be fully understood with your mind because these are our forces that can only be experienced in you. So the point isn't to, you know, intellectualize these words, but, you know, to help you engage with the same force within yourself, which houses these, uh, 
sort of experiential qualities in life. Although we may all understand mantras as having certain designated meanings, you know, it's, it's important to understand that they weren't created this way at first. You know, for the most part, they, they started as seed syllables, right? Seed syllables, which, you know, some people may know, uh, they kind of, they start with like om or yam, hum, ram, vam, lam, things like that. And I couldn't tell you when, you know, mantras have evolved into actual phrases, but I do know that it likely came as a result of uh, Eastern yogis uh, developing a system of um, slowly pulling disciples out of their own processes of thinking by at least giving them words as a place to start, right? Almost like placing training wheels on a bike, right? It's as if Shiva came from the clouds and said, okay, well, I know I can't just get you to stop, you know, hyper-analyzing spiritual truth. So if you're going to begin using mantras in your practice, I'll at least I'll at least have you recite sacred words or phrases that you can understand. And eventually over time, you know, the the hope is that you eventually realize that the point of these words isn't to remember them, but to transcend them, right? To transcend them by focusing your attention on the vibration, just sort of dancing gracefully beneath them. Of course, it sounds like a simple task, but you'd be surprised at how difficult it can be to convince someone that the vibration of their own voice is more sacred and closer to God than the words that they use to get there. And um, yeah, eventually, after some time, you, you won't even need mantras to take you out of your mind and into your heart, right? Like your life will be a living vibration of these mantras. And at another level, you know, mantras, mantras also represent the sort of fundamental vibration which encompasses everything in life, which is sound. So if you can get to a point in your practice where you stop hearing the meaning of each word and you know begin feeling the vibration of your own spirit within you singing, then you'll know with you know the utmost conviction that you've touched on the absolute, right? And when you've touched this place, you know, this is where it will have occurred to you that, you know, your mind was not the one responsible for bringing you there. But, you know, my point in bringing up mantras wasn't, wasn't to dedicate a podcast to exploring the dynamics of how to use them, but to, you know, relate the profound meaninglessness of them to the meaninglessness or the meaningless practice of having to start each episode in a sort of prognostic way where the topic needs to be clearly understood before we sort of embark together in this exploration of spirituality. Because truth is, spirituality shouldn't be systematically organized in this way. I mean, after all, you know, how would we accurately and earnestly explore that which has no beginning and no end? So I'd like to share a few things about uh, my journey with you all, if I could. So my, my background and source of where I derive my truth comes largely from the um, old, old Eastern Advaita Vedanta lineage of Hindu philosophy. And if you're not familiar with the name Advaita Vedanta, it's a, a Sanskrit word meaning non-secondness or not to. That's how, another way of putting it. But the most popular definition of this uh, philosophy that most people in our world use and one that you may be familiar with is non-duality. So Advaita Vedanta means non-duality. And the sort of perennial philosophy of non-duality is that Brahman, or source, or God, or whatever word you want to use, alone is real. 
And if we are fundamentally a manifestation of source or God, then we are also a living embodiment of that source. So, you know, these ideas we have of things outside of ourselves existing as other are, you know, fundamentally categorized as illusions governed by the ego. So in other words, there is no such thing as other. And one of the most important teachings in non-duality come from this uh, realization that as a manifestation of the infinite, we are neither born nor do we die. Essentially, we are uh, pretty much the substratum of existence itself. And this is an important teaching to understand because if you acknowledge that there can be no beginning or end to God, then you know it makes sense to conclude that there can be no beginning or end to spiritual truth as it's conveyed through the teachings of regular human beings, right? And a perfect example of this can be found within the teachings of uh, Eastern sages like, uh, for example, Sri Ramana Maharshi, H.W.L. Punja, Muji, Osho, um, Ramesh Balsikar, and even you know Western-based non-dual teachers like Adyashanti or Gangaji. You know, many of them, many of them make a point at the beginning of uh, every book that they write to convey to the reader that to understand the truth within the teaching, the reader should not limit themselves to beginning their inquiry from the first page. In other words, spiritual truth should meet you wherever you are. And if that means opening a book to, you know, page 50 as your starting point, then, you know, you'll find the same quality of truth as you would reading the introduction at the beginning. You know, regardless of where you start, you will find the absolute there. You know, so many of their books are written in such a way that you can literally, literally open them up to whatever page you want and just start there. Of course, you know, if you're a Puritan in the realm of books, this may at first drive you into a, you know, chaotic OCD frenzy of unpredictable chaos, but, you know, perhaps that's the point of the teaching, right? Right? Like to slowly disengage your ego from attempting to understand how this whole spiritual game should go. And that is exactly what traditional Eastern sages do, right? They have this way of tugging at your most cherished thoughts and beliefs and illuminating the absurdity of them, you know, in, in such a way that you couldn't even believe that you had an affinity to them in the first place. <laughs> I mean, who told us that books should even have a beginning or ending to begin with, right? And of course, you know, that, that, that isn't to say that we should aspire to write, you know, thousands of pages of words that no reasonable person has the time to read. But the point, you know, the point might just be to enjoy the beautiful journey in between. You know, it's always been a curious thing to me that we seldom think about what a story might look like if we knew what happened even before the beginning. It's an even more curious thing to contemplate what would come of the story after the final chapter. And, and perhaps there's a, a beautiful teaching in this very observation because, you know, it teaches us that many authors are really concerned with the most important part of every human journey. And just the same, you know, perhaps every consumer is also enamored with the most important part of that collective experience. And of course, if you're someone who regularly reads books, you know, th there's no harm in approaching your journey in this way, but you know, this very sort of structured and formalized way of how we typically approach writing in the West, you know, it tends to create a sort of rigid system where we can only really appreciate a good story if we understand everything leading up to the climax, right? And if that's your game, you know, there's 
certainly no issue in playing it. But if spiritual truth is something that you wish to obtain, you know, you quickly learn really over time that, you know, it, it makes no difference where you start the book. Because whether it's page one or, or page 400, the message is the same throughout the entirety of the exploration. You know, it's the same message just introduced in a myriad of different ways, in the same way that, you know, a Zen koan is the same message just told through different stories. When we can, you know, sort of begin to see the beauty and grace of this nonlinear path of exploration, then perhaps we can begin to really see how the infinite really does move through life in both subtle and powerful ways. I mean, if Brahman and God alone is real, and there's no beginning or end to source, then, you know, it makes sense that the sage's words need not be, you know, seen as a teaching that begins and ends, even through the pages of the book. I mean, that's because, you know, spirituality is not really a humble beginning on the quest for a victorious ending. You know, it's like a flow, right? It's a flow with a current that is always moving through human beings in the same way that electricity moves through the cables of your home, right? Like you can't see it, but you know it's there. And you can tap into it anytime that you want. And the teaching of non-duality really is to remind us that we all have this all-encompassing, all-pervading, and all-powerful beingness within us that, you know, perhaps many of us fail to recognize. So, you know, with that said, uh, what I initially wanted to convey with this message is that I've grown a bit weary of this traditional podcast format where, you know, there seems to be an obvious introduction into the themes we want to explore. You know, the deepest part of me would rather engage with a flow where we can sort of explore the fundamental basis of spirituality together, though to do it not tethered to certain topics. But instead, you know, open up a, a conversation where we can talk about how spirituality impacts our lives in the moment and as we experience it. So, you know, if your intention is to be educated, you know, to approach this as a, a school of learning or to be shown methods from start to finish, then, you know, this, this podcast may not be the right fit for you. Because to be honest, you know, I, I, I have no methods. Fundamentally, I have no teaching as well because, you know, all methods and teachings will do for you is prevent you from seeing that which is already present within you, Right? And I'll do this by postponing that realization to somewhere in the future when you, when you feel that you've worked hard enough for it. You know, my intention is not to give you teachings to keep and possess as your own. I mean, ultimately, all they will do is just give you another practice for your ego to get lost in. And I get it. You know, at this point, you might be thinking, well, you know, that's awfully presumptuous of you, Eric, that we would do that. But, you know, I, I say this with the utmost humility because the truth is I've been that person before. You know, like the, the more we learn in spirituality, the, the more we begin to believe that we have something that no one else has. And that is the biggest trap that many of us fall into. You know, like this belief that because we've touched upon something beautiful, it somehow makes us special. I mean, don't get me wrong, like we are special, but, you know, not the type of special that separates us from someone else. Because to be honest, you know, there's nothing special about awakening to your truest, most authentic self. Of course, you know, the process from which you awaken may feel special for some time, and perhaps some way, in some ways it is. And you can certainly, you know, hold that moment in your heart. But, you know, to define the beingness within you as special is, in many ways, to miss the point. 
Because the moment you perceive it as special uh, is the same moment your ego will come and try and take it from you, right? Like instead of resting within the peace of your own being, you'll, you'll tirelessly traverse the world trying desperately to convince others of how special and unique you are. You know, perhaps the only reason uh, awakening feels special is because of how long we've been living our lives just completely unconscious to our true nature. Because if we spent time living within this beautiful stillness, then we realize how ordinary and beautiful it really is. And of course, I don't mean to sound like I'm discrediting the feelings of joy you may discover through this process of awakening, but you know, the issue isn't with the idea of specialness. Uh, it has more to do with uh, our inability to handle such a magnificent force without trying to break off a piece of it to keep for ourselves once we do discover it, right? And if you've been in this community for some time, you'll notice how really commonplace this really is. You know, like you'll take spirituality and place a really hefty price tag on it. You know, like you'll sell courses, you'll facilitate expensive retreats, you know, perhaps even become a certified spiritual coach at the hands of someone who charged you thousands of dollars to convince you of something you should already know. And, you know, slowly, slowly but surely, your practice will become a teaching really only accessible to those that can afford to learn. And this, from you know, my estimation, seems to be one of the most unfortunate things about our community today, is that it is governed in a way that appeals only to a specific group, often wealthy, right? Often wealthy individuals just seeking to use it for their own special interests. And uh, you know, somewhere along the way, uh, We've abandoned regular everyday people that yearn for an opportunity to introduce healing and love into their lives. You know, the sad truth about my experience in this community is that I've met more authentic and sincere and loving people outside of this community than I ever have in the years that I've been a part of it. Right? I have met more people outside of the community that uh, embodied the qualities of enlightenment without even claiming to be enlightened. I've met more people like that than I have people within my community that have claimed to be enlightened and actually were. I mean, it seems in many ways that in our quest for community, we've instead created a exclusivity at the cost of our own humanity, right? In our quest to sort of facilitate oneness, we incidentally created more duality and otherness. And eventually, you know, over time, our community had gone from being one that harbors community to one that people often don't feel spiritual enough to be a part of. And, and, you know, much of the goal of regular everyday people becomes instead about, you know, trying desperately to feel accepted by the people in positions of fame and authority within the spiritual community. So, I mean, you know, without dedicating an entire podcast on this very subject, I will, I will just say this. Okay, spirituality is not something that can be bought. Spirituality is our birthright. Right? Placing a price tag on Enlighten would be the equivalent to uh, a thief stealing your wallet and trying to sell it back to you. I mean, after all, why would we purchase something that we had always, you know, had always belonged to us in the first place? You know, as someone that's it's been a part of this community for over two decades, I feel personally that I have a responsibility to tell you this. Okay, do not trust anyone that tries to charge you money in exchange for spiritual truth. Do not trust anyone that charges you for information that you yourself can find out on your own through living your own experience. Because that is what true spirituality is. 
right? It's about your experience and what you uncover about your divinity through your experience and your experience alone. You know, like not following someone else's experience, not taking someone else's word for it, not even mine, but instead finding out for yourself if something is true by discovering it within your own experience. You know, many people don't know this, but many Eastern gurus never wanted to be considered gurus, right? They never saw the student-teacher relationship as entirely constructive to the process of enlightenment because they saw really it more of a hindrance to their development. Because as long as you believe a guru has something that you don't, it will postpone the inevitable truth that you yourself hold the same wisdom and truth that any guru could embody. Right? As long as you believe a guru has something that you don't, you know, you'll just continue building walls between your ego and your spirit. So, you know, because people believe so strongly that they needed a teacher to awaken, the guru accepted it as a worthy alternative, knowing full well, right, that what the seeker sought is something that could immediately be experienced by simply removing all of the inward concepts and obstacles and actually taking a moment in silence to see really what's always been there. And this is a really interesting observation, isn't it? Because it shows you just how strong the human ego is in our quest for truth. You know, that something so simple can be made so complicated because the ego, you know, just cannot rest until it feels it's paid a hefty price for spiritual freedom. So what could be experienced now in this moment just sort of ends up becoming this uh, sort of arduous journey where we tirelessly go looking for enlightenment only to realize after years and years of searching that it was always here in this moment to begin with. So look, my goal is not to help you learn, right? It's to help you unlearn everything you thought you knew about spirituality so you can finally just be free and allow yourself to experience the beautiful simplicity of your own beingness. And not to do it by helping you force everything that isn't spiritual out of your life, but by sharing my experience with you and helping you understand what perhaps sort of prevents you from being inwardly free. I mean, the goal, if anything, is just to help you understand, right? To help you understand that which may be preventing you from illuminating your own inner light. So my goal is not to give you a path to follow, but to uh, sort of point you in the direction of a path that I know you have the courage to walk through on your own. I mean, ultimately, you know, I'm just a guy that's seen something that I wish everyone else could see. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be enlightened or special to see it. You just have to be willing to let go of everything that you thought you knew about spirituality and also, you know, be willing to be radically honest with yourself about who you are and not who you think you are. Now, am I a perfect human? No. Am I a perfect spirit? Yes. You know, just the same as you. But spirituality is not about being perfect. You know, at the very core, it's about being authentically human. You know, spirituality is not about making mistakes, right? It is not, you know, in other words, a moral quandary or dilemma, right? Morality is for the mind, right? Love is a quality of the heart. And there's no right or wrong about love. You know, love is love, right? It simply is. The only sort of moral quandary, if any, is whether we choose to see it in ourselves or, you know, turn away from it in our ignorance of what is true. But just because you don't feel loving doesn't at all mean that it isn't there. You know, it is. Fundamentally, it never stops. 
right? It's never not there. And a part of my message is helping you uncover all of the beliefs you have in yourself that prevent you from seeing it. So in any case, let's say you begin to identify that love in yourself. Does this mean that life outside of yourself will be perfect? No. You know, despite how loving we become, you know, we quickly learn how unpredictable the world remains. You know, even amongst the most enlightened people, there is still suffering in the world, right? There's still pain. And the goal of spirituality isn't to somehow protect you from it. The goal is to help you accept that these things exist and to provide you with insight into how to move through it in a more graceful and beautiful way. Look, I, I wouldn't consider myself a spiritual teacher because there's really there's nothing that I can teach you that you yourself can't find out on your own. If I am to, let's just say, consider myself anything, it would be just a friend, right? It would be someone to help you feel less alone on a spiritual journey that can sometimes feel like unknown territory for many of us. As I said, you know, I, I'm just a guy, you know, like a guy that's been given the opportunity to experience something beautiful. And I arrived to this place by experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of trauma and effort. And the most important part of my message to you after experiencing that is that you don't have to put yourself through all of that in order to awaken to your true self. Of course, you know, if you feel it's necessary, then perhaps that's a, that's a journey meant for you to explore. But my honest advice to you is whatever you're looking for, whatever you think that is, exists right here in this moment. And you don't have to go looking for it somewhere out there in the world to find it. You just have to be willing to look within and experience it for yourself. And that, that is what Divine Nobodies is about. So if that resonates with you, then, you know, we can begin to explore this journey together. So namaste, friends, and welcome to season two.